or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne and with co-host Bill, who's not here today, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We'd like to pay our respects to Elders past and present and to acknowledge that this land was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol, gambling, food and other addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week I'm joined in the studio by Richard. Richard has told his story on the show before, but today he's back for something a little different. Um, As we feature the 12-step programs on Living Free, we thought we'd have a discussion today about the 12 steps themselves. Um, what they are and how we apply them to recovery from the effects of alcoholism and other addictions. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Anne. Great to be here. Uh, right, now, you're, we're not hearing you there, so I'm going to try another mic. How's this? That's much better. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Um, we've got new mic uh, noise-cancelling uh, microphones here because of the construction next door, so we're a bit confused. Um, okay, that's better. So... Um, we're ha- going to have a b- deep dive into the 12 steps. We'll have a bit of a conversation rather than an interview, hopefully. Yep. Um, and uh, let's start with a quick introduction to who we are and why we practice these steps. And um, Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I can quickly go first. You go first, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm Richard and I first got exposed to the 12 steps through Alcoholics Anonymous about... Uh, well, 20 years ago was my first meeting, but I got sober about 12, a bit over 12 years ago. And then I have a partner who's an alcoholic, and um, that led me to Al-Anon, and I went through the steps in the Al-Anon program. And then more recently, I quit smoking two and a half years ago, and then after two years, I had my partner left her tobacco at my place. <laughs> And I, I had, I thought, I'll just have one cigarette and, and that'll be fine. And I smoked all of her tobacco and, and then I went for about six months, I'd smoke for a week and stop. And so I heard about Nicotine Anonymous and mm-hmm. I thought, well, the 12 steps have really helped me a lot uh, with other aspects of my life. So I'm now working the 12 steps of Nicotine Anonymous, which are the same as... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this 12-step business, you know, grew, it started off in 1935-ish, didn't it? Yeah. Um, do you want to tell the people how that how it started? Uh, well, my understanding is that there was a group called the Oxford Group, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a some kind of Christian fellowship, and they, I think they had six steps, is what I... I'm, six I'm, or seven, I think, Something yeah. like that. And Bill W um, was a... He, tried to join the group and when he and Dr. Bob founded AA, they adapted the 12 or the, the steps and increased them and ended up with 12 mm-hmm. that we have now. Mm-hmm. 
So, so they, they started AA based on the idea they, they both were trying to get sober and both realised they couldn't do it on their own. That's right. And so they, they I think they just started off with a system, if you feel like picking up a drink, just call me. Yeah. Um, and they would share that experience with each other. Um, and then um, the 12 steps must have come out from the idea that people addicted to alcohol need a path to follow. You know, they need to replace the alcohol with something else, something better. Yeah, and I think it, the the language of them, they're written in the past tense. Mm-hmm. You know, we... we uh, Admitted we were, were powerless. powerless. And I think so rather than sitting down and working out this is what we need to do, they were documenting what they had done. Yep. Um, and how and you know to their own astonishment they stay sober uh-huh. and they and I think it was part of that what what did we do that and and that's where the steps come from experience rather than planning uh-huh and there's the other um, important part of the steps there um, it's not just what we have done it's that we did it yes so there's no sense that you do the 12 steps on your own that's right and you know I've known many people um, through various fellowships who who say they're working the steps but they're doing it on their own and and I think you know that's that's not how they were intended mm-hmm. and I and I think you know that's where we have the role of a sponsor mm-hmm. um, and I have heard of people co-sponsoring where you sponsor each other mm-hmm. Um, work through things together mm-hmm. um, but usually a sponsor is someone who's been through the steps and is then sharing their experience and providing some guidance mm-hmm. and even uh, without a, without the idea of the sponsor there is the idea of the meetings so yes. even if you're um, you haven't got a sponsor you can be working on the steps and sharing that at meetings yes. and so that's another way that you're doing it together yeah. with other people yeah mm. yeah all right, so before we plunge into a discussion of step one, and, and we don't even know if we'll get through all 12, depending <laughs> how, we go. how we go, but we'll start with step one. But before that, um, just to identify myself, why I um, practice the 12 steps. Um, so I come from a family where alcoholism was abuse, so I grew up with uh, surrounded by alcoholism. Um, and uh, the two, there's two alcoholics in my immediate family, both sober and AA, um, but I came to Al-Anon because coming out of that family situation and just being who I am, I don't, I don't know the, what made me, but um, as a young adult, I was um, very scared and very sad. Um, mm. s- yeah, scared and sad, um, having a lot of trouble in intimate relationships with um, uh, fear, fear of being abandoned and... and uh, and just sad and having a lot of trouble uh, dealing with myself. So I didn't come into Al-Anon thinking, uh, how can I uh, deal with an alcoholic? Um, but I came in uh, thinking about how I can deal with myself because I was uncomfortable in the world. Um, and I learned there that the things that I that I had spent, at least my teenage years, not my childhood probably, affected in some different ways in my childhood, but I did spend my teenage years trying to uh, fix, manage and control the alcoholic in my family, thinking if they weren't doing what they're doing, uh, then everyone would be happier. And I'm the one, even if I was only 13 or something, I'm the one who has to uh, sort this out, at least help sort this out, so that we can um, live a normal life. 
So, um, so I came into Al-Anon having given up that project, but <laughs> now with this project of um, trying to uh, manage myself because my life had did feel quite unmanageable. Yeah. One of the things that I discovered in Al-Anon after about six months, I realised that I'd grown up in an alcoholic home. Not because my parents weren't alcoholics, but uh, I'm the second youngest of eight and um, one of my oldest brothers was drinking alcoholically from as long as I can remember. And um, and the dynamic in the family, as I attended Al-Anon meetings and heard readings about adult children of alcoholism, I started to realise that, oh, alcohol actually shaped our family. Mm-hmm. And also my mother had a mental illness, which was its... And, you know, they'd both been through the war in England and post-war depression and, and the depression in the 30s. And so there was a lot of trauma... And I realised that Alanon had a, a lot to offer me in recognising how that early childhood stuff had experience had affected me, and the twelve steps have proved to be a way for me to heal from that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a, uh, our opportunity now to to, <laughs> to launch into that and and explain to each other <laughs> and to anyone listening how they do that. So I'll just read the first step. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, do you ha- where would you start to explain that, Richard? I think, you know, it, it means a number of different things for me, depending which hat I'm wearing, you know, whether I'm wearing my AA hat or my Alanon hat. But the fundamental thing, I think, for me is that I have to accept reality as it is, the world as it is. And I have to accept other people as they are. So for myself, I have to accept that I can't drink alcohol safely. And I have to accept that other people are the way they are and I can't control them. And that's, you know, my whole life has been trying to mould other people into the shape that I think they should be. Mm-hmm. And this step reminds me that I can't do that. Or if I try to do that, I'll always fail. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's that acceptance. And, you know, I have to accept the world as it is, which doesn't mean that I don't work to change. You know, I may be involved in, you know, uh, political ideas or something like that. But I'm doing what I think I can do. I'm not trying to tell other people what they have to do mm-hmm. and you can do that make those efforts on behalf of society or, or out of your conscience or whatever um without assuming too much power yeah y- you haven't got absolute power over the political system you can no. just do something today you know, or in the next you know period of time to to act in a, a way that you think is the right way to act politically that's right. And sometimes it means letting go of things. You know, the 2020 election in, in the US, I was glued to my computer every day. I was checking the tally, the counts and I was um, quite agitated and feeling quite uh, anxious about this thing that I have no control over that doesn't even actually directly influence me. 
you know it's in another country it's their business but it was affecting my day-to-day well-being and I had to work to let go of that and accept that I can't make anything I can't change anything about that and the best thing for me to do is to look at what I can change in my own life mm-hmm. and maybe not spend so much time <laughs> on the computer reading about Donald Trump's latest yeah. activity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's where that idea of unmanageability comes in. I know myself, if I'm getting too tense or anxious over anything at all, and even if it is in my sphere of control, if it's concerned about a family member or, yeah. or someone I work with, or even some project that I'm doing, if I'm starting to get tense and anxious, um, then I know that I'm trying to exert p- too much power. Yeah. And um, and my life starts to become unmanageable because that tension and anxiety uh, triggers off all other kinds of uh, shortcomings in yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And I end up unhappy. Yeah, and, mm. you know, I become irritable and... Uh, irrit- what, what's the, the saying? Irritable, restless, un- irritable and discontented. discontented. Yeah. So in AA, they say restless, irritable and, and discontented. discontented. Yeah. In Al-Anon, they say uh, um, irritable and unreasonable. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yep. Um, so it can be a bit daunting, though, admitting that you're powerless, can't it? Because it really can, because, you know, especially... You know, the way I grew up, you know, it was the moon landing and all that sort of stuff. And there was this idea in the late 60s and early 70s that you can be whatever you want to be. And, you know, the sky's the limit and it's you're in control of your own life. And then to find that there are things that I can't control was it took and it still takes effort to change that way of thinking. That reminds me of um, <clears throat> the longer I've practiced these steps and this step, um, the more I've come to realize that I, am, I I don't have to admit that I'm powerless over alcohol anymore because I'm not trying to, I'm, I haven't got a, a problem with alcohol myself and yeah. I'm not trying to uh, deal with another alcoholic in, in my immediate environment. So I know that I'm powerless over alcohol and, and uh, don't, I don't know how I would behave if, I, if it did come into my house, but yeah. um, at the moment that's not what I'm working on, but what I'm, I've learned about myself is that I'm powerless even over myself in, in many ways, in aspects of my own thinking, yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, and that's taken me to a new level of surrender yeah. and letting go um, because a lot of what I'm thinking and feeling is historical stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's been all the, the um, research recently that talks about how that trauma's in your body. And, yeah. and things get triggered off. So, is that is that something that resonates with you too? Yeah, yeah. I I think, you know, I've struggled with this notion of um, being an addict. You know, I I I kind of understood that I can't drink alcohol safely. The way it, you know, and I like that notion of having an allergy to it. The way it behaves in me is different than an. Uh, I was going to say a normal person, but I'm going to say a non-alcoholic. And similarly with Nicotine Anonymous, you know, I'm one of these people who can't just have one cigarette either. If I have one cigarette, as soon as that's finished, I want another one. And I can't trust my thinking about it. 
because my mind will always tell me that you can just have one and it'll be all right. And with drinking, I thought I believed my own thinking for a long time, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. That, you know, I thought this time it'll be all right, and it never was. And I've also learnt that, you know, I used to think that if only I said something in the right way, gave advice in the right words, then these other other people would take on board what I say and their lives would be happier. And that's never worked for me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm, my, I, my um, compulsion, I think, um, is I'm a bit of, I don't know if addiction is the right word, but I'm compelled to worry. Yeah. I've got a deep-seated belief that if there's a problem and I start thinking about it, I'll get I'll get a solution, and I think it's going to be within about two minutes, and then three days later, I finally have to admit that I'm powerless and I can't, yeah. I can't solve the problem, even if it's just a problem in mind thinking or how I'm feeling. So, re- I've got to really let go, even of my own self. Yeah, and there's a a, a Catholic monk and writer uh, Richard Raw who's spoken about the 12 steps in spirituality and he's a great lover of um, the the 12 steps and he he says we're all addicted to our own thinking mm-hmm. and that really made sense to me because I I always think that I know best and Alanon has really helped me to understand that that that's at the the bottom of my you know my core belief is that I know what's best for me and I know what's best for you. And I've had to really let... I'm learning to let go of that idea. Mm-hmm. I, I still slip up and try and give advice sometimes mm-hmm. when it's not asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really understand that. And I also live with bipolar and, and part of what I have to do to manage that is to question my own thinking. You know, is this is this actually the best idea anyone's ever had? Yep. Or is it just an idea and maybe we can let that go? <laughs> yep. And and I, I um have suffered quite a bit from depression and it's the same thing. That that in the grips of that, don't trust your thoughts. Yeah. They they're not they're not an accurate re- nobody's thoughts accurately reflect reality that's, yeah. you know um, and and yet uh, that's an interesting insight from that Richard Raw because it's um, it we I think every human being trusts their own perceptions so that you, yeah. you can't not because it, you just that's how you survive isn't it and we're taught you know I was taught that you create your own reality yeah, yeah. and you are in charge yeah but what I and the saving grace for me is the fellowship, you know, and that I can talk things over with other members or with my sponsor, and I can check check my idea with someone else. And you know, I also have a therapist that I see and uh, that I talk to, and so I I may have an idea, but I'll check it with someone else. You know, mm-hmm. is this actually crazy? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they are. Mm-hmm. Or is this a good idea? Well, mm-hmm. maybe not. Mm-hmm. You know? That's right. So, Sometimes they are good ideas, yep. you know. And then you have to, tr- and, and you have to get the affirmation from outside of yourself. Sometimes. Yeah. Okay, we'll have a little break, and then we'll come back, and we'll move on to step two. I think, yeah. Richard. Global Intifada. 
bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Okay, so um, this is a Living Free Show on 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and checking out our website. You can also contact, contact us via the phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with Richard about how we practice the 12 steps to solve our common problems. So um, we've just uh, talked a little bit about step one and we could probably go on and on and on about step one, um, admitting that we're powerless and how our life becomes unmanageable. Um, So um, we'll move on now to step two, which is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, So Richard, what's meant by sanity do you think in that? context uh, that's a that's a big question and you know I have some experience with madness and um, insanity um, but I think I always think of it as meaning healthy healthy thinking healthy action and there's a this notion of being in the flow that you know that uh, musicians talk about and I'm a musician as well and uh, sports people talk about being in the flow and I and I feel that that's a good description of what sanity feels like for me it's when I'm in the groove of life when I'm when I'm moving together with the rest of the universe yeah and, and it's, it's it's uh it's one of those days where, where you get up and you get to your appointment and plenty of time and then you run into somebody that says something that's inspiring to you and then you sit down and you have a really nice cup of coffee and then you move on and something other some problem gets solved by itself yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh yeah they're great those days yeah yeah and and that's one of the things that i found with with drinking was that it took me completely out of that I was always in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I I remember I you know I would be feeling really um, in withdrawal, and I'd have a few drinks and feel okay, and I think well now I can now I can be sober, but it's too late, and I've ruined the day, and I'll have to try again tomorrow, and uh. I, I did that for years, and similarly with Eleanor, you know I get I get fixated on someone else. And I spend all my time thinking about what they need to do or what I need to do to help them. And and I'm completely out of kilter with what's in front of me mm-hmm. and what I need to do to look after myself. Because that person might not even be in the same suburb or in That's the same right. country. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
or he might be Donald Trump. You know, yes, where you're going to get power over him. Um, so, what's the, how how can a power greater than ourselves restore us to that state of flow? Well, I think that that power is is the flow, and and that that I'm a part of it. And so I was thinking that this step to to me tells me that I'm not alone, um, that I'm actually a part of the universe, and I and I'm a part of God, and that that's my true nature. Mm. Um, but I have this other I have this ability that we humans have that we can step outside of that and try and follow our own will. So I have to turn back to my uh, high power of my understanding and for me i i look for i see that the the rest of the steps are the guides for me to get back into that flow Mm. yeah i think i agree with that so so it's uh that idea of being part of the universe according to your true nature in the the same way that a bird (coughs) is part of its environment according to its true nature it's not thinking about how to become a human or whether to go and be a bird somewhere else yeah and it's not thinking about the other bird yeah what might be actually minor birds might be i don't know but uh (laughs) but you know it's living according to its true nature and i think we're much more complex than that but um often we're not living according to our true nature we uh, again got our eye on someone else's flaws or yeah or someone else's problems or um stuff that we can't control yeah and i think you know I'll, you know I'll repeat i'm repeating what i said before but i think the way that god restores me to sanity is through the steps is through working the steps mm-hmm. um, for me that's been very clear and that's you know why i'm i've joined a third fellowship to do with the smoking you know part of me thinks that i i probably could stop on my own bat and I did for two years I didn't smoke at all but I know that there's more that's offered me offered to me if I work through Mm. the 12 steps Mm. you'll get insights into more than just the smoking that's right Mm. yeah um, I've got a definition about the high I'm not a uh, I'm not a member of any religion um but I've got a few definitions of the higher power that I've written down just in preparation for this, and it's um, all that is and ever was and will be yep. is the higher power, and I'm part of that, and I, I can't I can't argue with all my ancestors and all my and my human nature or anything like that, um, and sometimes for God for me is an, an imaginary omniscient benign force, um, and and it frankly is imaginary because I don't have any idea of it being a personal a person um, or I see it as a, a, ben, a benevolent c- creator that sees beyond my my disturbances and fears and things to the the good well-intentioned part of me and I, and I see it as love and I see it as the truth yeah but not not the truth that my mind thinks the truth is but some greater truth yeah. um, does that any of that resonate with you yeah I think I think they all do and and you know, I was—I grew up in in a, in a church, and I was taught that God is love. Could you just cut the mic for a moment while I clear mm-hmm. my throat? Sure. Okay. Richard's just clearing his throat there. <laughs> Sorry about 
There you go. You're back so, again. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's uh, for right. some reason, something's decided to visit my <laughs> my epiglottis. Um, but I was I was taught that God is love, and and you know I think I believe that. But in one sense, that's just replacing one mystery with another. It's a mystery, yeah. <laughs> but but I have this sense that you know. Gravity existed long before we had any uh, understanding of the laws of gravity and were able to manipulate it. And And I think love is also a force and that we all experience. And we have some inkling of how it works. But, you know, there may come a time in human history when we actually are able to understand more about love. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Mm. But it certainly is a mystery, isn't it? Yes, you, that's right. You have to accept a mystery. Yeah. Um, and, and another way I've got down here of having of defining sanity is um, a clear understanding, and it's a, and it's a definition of flow too, um, a clear understanding of my relationship to everything else in the world and seeing reality as a God would have me see it. Yeah. If there was that God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So, a power. What kind of power? What kind of power? In what ways have you been restored to sanity by with a power by a power greater than you? Well, I, I think um, you know through through going through the steps and particularly working through steps four and five, I was able to see myself much more clearly and to understand my own history. And so when I feel a particular way or I have a reaction to uh, an event or a person, I, I no longer think that that reaction is the, the truth. I think that that's a product of my own history. And understanding myself more, I'm able to see, to step a little bit aside from the immediate moment and and be that sort of observer self Mm -hmm. where I can see, oh, this person said something and you're feeling agitated, but actually they're reminding you that that this reminds you of a negative Mm -hmm. event that happened in the past. And I had one clear episode with my partner. I was talking to her. She left the room, just walked out. And I was completely furious and and I got really angry and I realised later and she and she couldn't understand. She said, I'm still listening. I can hear from the other room. I just had to turn the kettle off or whatever it was. <laughs> and I realised my reaction was out of proportion. But then looking at it and talking about it with my sponsor, I, I realised that I was remembering what it was like being with my mother when she disappeared into herself mm-hmm. and what I was at home with her during the day and she wouldn't say a word the whole day and I was re-experiencing this trauma and so the sane reaction would have been oh she's she you know she must still be listening you know I, I know she loves me she wouldn't treat me you know offhand like that so it's the, the the program that brings those sanity back to my thinking. And I'm reminded of what you said before about the God or the flow being the natural state. Yeah. And the other stuff is our uh, fabrications out of our very busy minds that we trust too much. Yeah. So I know for myself that I trust um, 
uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I travel to terrible futures and, and imagine all the things that could happen. And I trust it because I, I trust those thoughts because I think, well, I, I can use logic. I've seen yeah. that happen before. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and so, so there's that too much belief in your own mind. And then there's a lot, I suffer a lot from guilt and self-criticism, mm. um, doubt, self-doubt, uncertainty, second-guessing myself. Yeah. Um, again, that's a, uh, that's not flow and that, that these are habits and they don't uh, put me in the way of flow. Yeah. 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 And I think the thing, you know, for me is it's about practice mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I play guitar and I, I learned as a child and I learned very early that you get good at what you practice and that chipping away at something, doing a bit each day will mm. have benefits. And it's the same with the program. The more I, I reflect on my behaviour and my thinking, the more it becomes a second nature. And there are times when I react really well to a situation and I think, ah, that's the program at work. Mm-hmm. There is change happening in me and, and, uh, you know, and I'm grateful to that, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. that. Yep, so that's, that's from the practice. Um, what about sometimes I, I'll walk into a meeting and the first thing that someone says kind of just seems to solve the problem I've been dealing with for the last three days or something. That's the higher power working too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so we might just get on to step three then. Yep. Which um, sound, is even weirder. Uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him and uh, there's a problem there right away for me him um, as it would be a problem with her or they or yeah. anything it's just um, a little bit absurd to, to give uh, God agenda um, and how do you what does it mean to turn your will and your life over to that and surely that's irresponsible with your life what do you think about that yeah this is it's a step that um I I thought that I would that I knew what this meant because I you know like I said I grew up in a church and it was all about trying to do the will of God and uh, and I thought that's what this step is it's just deciding yeah I'm going to do the will of God and that's it you know you make a decision that end of story what's the next step but the more I've uh, tried to practice it I realized that it never worked for me I always used to think that if I knew what the will of God was I'd, I'd do that I'd get it all out of the way and then I'd have the rest of the day and hopefully it'll be in the evening because I love the night time and I'd have a few hours just to myself and I you know I'd oh, after you'd done all the all the get, your duty get you, my you, duty yeah. out of the way <laughs> and then I can treat myself you know with a <laughs> with a drink or a smoke or whatever whatever behaviour it was. And that attitude never worked for me. I, I always ended up in a mess. And I, and, I, and I struggled with this notion, well, if I give my life and my thoughts over it, then there won't be anything for me. I won't get to indulge myself. But what I've learnt over the years that I've been working the program is that I'm actually happier when I'm in the flow and when I, I don't run on self-will. Um, and I, I've re- I made some notes and I said, 
for me this step is choosing love over self-will and I, I've learned that I don't know what's best for me but I also don't always know what will make me the happiest and what I've learned is that what makes me happiest is when I'm in the flow when I'm uh, actually acting out of love and and I can get into bed and think that was a good day and you know there may have been a few hiccups but you know the steps tell me um, later on you know uh, step 10 you know when we were wrong promptly admitted it it gives us something to do about any slip ups so that's what it, step 3 is about it's a constant thing mm-hmm. and I've, there's a step 3 prayer in Nicotine Anonymous which it's a bit long but I'll, I'll read it yeah um, sure so third step prayer Relieve me of the bondage of self. Help me abandon myself to the spirit. Move me to do good in this world and show kindness. Help me to overcome and avoid anger, resentment, jealousy and any other kind of negative thinking today. Help me to help those who suffer. Keep me alert with courage to face life and not withdraw from it. Not to insulate myself from all pain whereby I insulate myself from love as well. Free me from fantasy and fear. Inspire and direct my thinking today. Let it be divorced from self-pity, dishonesty and self-seeking motives. Show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness and love. I pray for all of those who are, to whom I've been unkind and ask that they are granted the same peace that I seek. And I really like that prayer. And reading that, you know... This is from Nicotine Anonymous. There's nothing about smoking there. (laughs) But this is, uh, for me, um, asking for help to live a life well. Yep. And and I think that's the essence. Yep. And you could say that's the essence of of G-O-D. Yeah. Good orderly direction, living your life well. Yeah. Yep. Um, I actually had to look up the dictionary or the thesaurus to find out what will meant. And I realised it was related to the idea of want, uh, you know, wanting something. And yep. um, wanting something in nearly all religions is seen as a, a pitfall, yep. even in Buddhism, you know, too much desire and, yep. and attachment. Um, and so with my sort of imaginary God, um, I can say, do you want me to sit here ruminating on my resentment? And and the imaginary God just laughs. Yeah. You know, if I can just step outside myself, that uh, imaginary creator or God would would think that was absurd. And yep. in fact, even you or any other human being would think it would be an absurd way to spend a, a day sitting ruminating about resentment or jealousy or self-pity or, or whatever. Yep. You know, it's, it's quite clear when you kind of get a God's eye view of things. Yeah. What's a stupid thing to be doing yeah. for me at yeah. the moment and what's a good thing for me to be doing at the yeah. moment um, so it's it's just one of the, the many ways of just getting a better perspective um, on the situation that you're in uh, than the perspective that your mind's giving you yeah get your thoughts I think it just I think Einstein's got that quote I want to know God's thoughts yes yes mm. I think um we can be very prescriptive 
about what we think God wants from us. But I think really God is actually, my experience is God is saying, just let go. You know, let go of this resentment. And I find that hard to do on my own. So I often do an inventory and, and you know, there are techniques I'm working through a, a step 10 inventory. And and often just doing that, looking at what my part is in, in a situation, will re- relieve it, re- relieve that uh, resentment. And, I, you know, it's it sounds silly, but that idea of having a resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person <laughs> dies. <laughs> and the, and there's the um the idea too of um this god whatever god is it's it's uh it's not me. Yeah. And that's good because the the my um, modus operandi is I've got a brain so I must be in charge of everything around. Yeah. Me. Um and so often we don't know what's best for us. Yeah. Your brain can tell you that a, a smoke's the best thing for you at the moment or a, a, a little a little worry session or a yeah. drink or, or whatever your poison is, you know. Yeah. So. Or you need to go and have a serious talk with someone and tell them where they're going wrong. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah absolutely, because it's the right thing to do. You yeah. Know? Cause yeah. I, I know it's so clear and I could relieve all their suffering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> all right, we'll have another little break. Get lost in science. Tune in to 3CR every week to hear Beth, Chris and Stuart discuss news and issues from the universe that is science. Get informed and learn a bit more about the world around you. Lost in Science can be heard every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning and is repeated the following Tuesday at 6am. Word to the nerd. You can also download a podcast. Go to the website at www.3cr.org.au and get lost in science. Hi, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm doing Black and Deadly on Fridays from 11 to 12 o'clock. Looking at all the best uh, Black and Deadly music, entertainers and performers around this country. Join me then from 11 to 12 Fridays, Community Radio, 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And we're having a conversation today, Richard and I, about how we practice the 12 steps of recovery that grew out of AA when in 1935, two alcoholics realized they needed a pathway out of their self-destructive behaviors. Um, so um, we might move on to step four, Richard, which I think you foreshadowed a bit there by saying that if you do... Um, give in to your uh, defects of character yep. or your shortcomings uh, it's a good idea to have a look at them and, or if, you, if you're troubled in some way have a look at your own um, shortcomings or your own yep. behaviours so step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves um, what does that look like for you? Um, I've done step four a couple of different ways but um, 
I I did a really um, thorough step four in AA, and we use the columns that are in the AA Big Book, um, where you list all the people, and then you go through one column at a time. You look at the people, you look at what they did, you look at what part of my life was affected, what part of myself was affected, and then you look at what was my part in that, and. Um, and I did that. It took me a long time, um, and I, I haven't counted up how many uh, people and institutions and um, things I had, but on that list. But it was at least eighty, and you know, um, different. Eight, eighty uh, people or institutions that you felt that you'd done some damage. Or, in or, or I, I had resentment towards uh-huh. them, or. So it was things where I started off with resentments. I also did fears, and I did a sex inventory as well, which is a, a disappointingly short list. As, <laughs> as, uh, I, I heard someone describe that uh, their their sex inventory is disappointingly short. <laughs> I thought that's good, but um, uh, but it's it's not just about sex. It's about you know ro- romantic. Yeah. Um, affairs it, of the heart, and, and so, um, and that really showed me very uh, clearly how I tend to react to different situations, and I re- I realised that I was very much very prideful, um, that my ego was always telling me that I knew what was best. And that I, but at the same time, I realized how fragile I was and how afraid of rejection I was. Mm -hmm. That kept coming up. And fear of abandonment was something that was underlying most of the difficulties that I had with other people and and with institutions as well. Mm. Feeling rejected and not not totally accepted as I am. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the it was not accepting myself as I am that was the real issue yep um, similar for me as well I um, when I there's a few tools in, in all of the 12 step groups about you know lists of ways to get and think about yourself in that way um, and what, what's been interesting to me from doing the, the um, fourth step inventory is it's a, it's a small amount of shortcomings that occur over and over it's the same things over and over yeah um and just uh it's stuff like I'll, what i'm trying to remember them i've got them all written on little cards it's procrastination it's perfectionism it's yep. being judgmental it's it's tensing up yeah just a little it's a little shortcoming it's just um i might get up out of bed and just tense up a little bit yeah like why <laughs> what am what am I fi- I'm about to fight someone or what, what, you know what, um, so so going through a, a bit tense uh, fear you know giving into fear and worry um, usually if the, uh, resentment usually if there's something uh, discourtesy is another one so um, usually if there's something bothering me is 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 one of those yeah yeah and um, that's been a real really really good thing and it, it makes the um it's that there's a saying in in Al-Anon at least if you if you're pointing the finger at someone there's another uh four is it another three five another three three, po- three pointing, pointing back, back at you because your thumb's sticking up there yeah. so if you're pointing your finger at someone there's three fingers pointing back at you and it might be 
more worth your while to have a little look at what your problem is here, you know, yeah. in this. Uh, it doesn't mean that you tolerate poor behaviour in yeah. someone else and it doesn't mean that sometimes you might not have to tell them how their behaviour is affecting you, but uh, at least you're going into it without the habitual attitude that they're 100% wrong and I'm 100% right because yeah. that's very rarely the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite, it's been a liberation for me to um, know what my own defects are and know when they're operating. Yeah, I think that's a great word, that liberation. You know, um, similarly, I, I, um, I often ex- feel that I need other people to validate me. And, you know, I was in a work meeting yesterday and we're preparing something and I was able to make some suggestions that other people thought were good ideas and I felt mm-hmm. really good about that. And, I, and part of me was saying, ah, yes, you're getting validated. This mm. is So you yeah. got a little hit, but you didn't um, go down into a big tunnel of wanting more and more of it. Yeah, and I realised that there's... I, and I, I took that to mean there's still... Um, room for me to grow because I'm still seeking affirmation yeah. and, and acknowledgement. I still want people to say how great I am, mm. which tells me that I'm still not feeling completely at peace with yeah. who I am in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find it difficult just to be, just to... And if I was in a work meeting and not say anything um, and didn't have anything to contribute... I'd feel I'm a really bad person Mm -hmm. and they must all think that I'm wasting their time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'd get really down on myself Mm -hmm. and I think I should have thought it's a brilliant Mm -hmm. idea, you know, but more and more as time goes by, I'm able just to be Mm -hmm. and then, you know, things come into my mind and I share them and, but it's not coming from a place of ego where I have to impress people. Yeah. Otherwise you, to stop yourself suffering. Yeah. Feeling bad. That's right. Whereas, yeah. you know, in my younger days, before the program, I, I was constantly trying to impress people in order to feel okay about myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great, in terms of feeling great, uh, okay about yourself, is, um, is it's a real liberation too, to feel okay about yourself, despite the fact that you're a resentful, envious, judgmental, yeah. <laughs> um, whatever. And it doesn't mean that, that I'm the worst in the world at those things. It just means that I've got the capacity for those things. Yeah. And then I've got compassion for other people. That's I right. I just look at the other person and think, well, their judgmentalism's just run a bit amok today. Or, yeah. Um, so, and, and also there, there are little, um, for want of a better word, miracles. Like while I'm working the program, I might just notice that, oh, look, I'm not procrastinating. Yeah. I wasn't trying not to procrastinate. I just was in a bit more of a flow situation. Yeah. And um, the higher power's will for me was to sit down and get that bit of work done or something. Yeah. So um, I, I read today somewhere actually, you know, you don't don't work your problems, work the program. Yeah. And I, I do th- little, little, simple little things. Like when I do the shopping, I come home and I put everything away before I put the kettle on for a cuppa. And if I've been to band rehearsal, I get home and I unload all my gear and put everything in its place and then I'll have a cuppa or do the next thing. And I've found just those that simple thing to be completely liberating. And I, I sit down and I think, oh, it's done. <laughs> and is that not something you would have done naturally before? No, I would have, I would have gotten home, I would have had a cigarette, had a coffee, yeah. look at the stuff, think, oh, I'll put that away yeah, later yeah. and I'll go and do something else. Yeah. And, and 
you know, but I've realised I like having a tidy home and yeah. I like things to be in their place. Yeah. And if I want that, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. And and, But I've only gotten to that place through understanding myself more mm-hmm. through working the steps. And, and step four was a big part of that. And I've five. got to that place a bit too. And it's come from <laughs> realising since I'm not God, I'm not the managing director of the universe, I haven't got that as much to do. Yeah. So it frees up a bit of, a bit of bandwidth. Um, and then I started to notice what other people take for granted, that, that order, having a bit of order yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and because and, and I'm, I'm not naturally all that orderly. So it's a good, um, oh, what was I going to say? It, it, it's an underrated virtue. Yeah. And a lot of these little vir- these so-called little virtues like uh, order, kindness and courtesy suddenly become much more important and much more powerful once you let go of all the other um, big jobs that you have to do like so- stop that person drinking or stop yeah. your own drinking or whatever you you're obsessed with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um we've only got 3 minutes before we have to vacate. So well, we just dive into step five and maybe we'll have you on another time to go into the rest of the steps. Yeah, sure. Um, so step five is that once you've got all these um, defects clearer in your head, or you don't have to call them defects. Some people call them defaults or the yep. things you default to or your shortcomings and all humans have got them. It's the human condition. Um, the idea is you do step five, which is admit to God yourself and another human being the exact nature of your wrongs. Tell me why that's important in the 12-step programs. I think for me there was real power in saying something out loud to someone else and um, and I had some experience of that through you know confession in my religious tradition so this wasn't something that was completely foreign to me but I've my AA sponsor and I have never met in person. We, we, we've done everything over Zoom because we started working together during, uh, I think, the first lockdown. And, and yet I went through all my darkest secrets and shared them with this person. I, trust, I trusted them. You know, I didn't just choose anybody. Was, uh, we knew each other, you know, we got to know each other. So I felt safe doing it. But I also trusted in God and I trusted in the program that this was an important step. And I found it, uh, to use that word again, liberating. And it it meant that I was able to be ready to let go of these things. You know, there was one Sunday afternoon I remember distinctly when I was working on my step four and... I was getting towards the end of it and I was feeling pretty bad about myself because I was describing some behaviour that I really am ashamed of or was ashamed of. And and then the realisation came to me that I, I don't have to live like that anymore. With the shame, you mean, or, or doing the behaviour? Doing the behaviour. And that the steps would help me to alleviate the shame. Um and the step five was a big part of that having said it out there's something powerful yep. about saying something out loud mm-hmm. to someone else where it's 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 shared 
it's no longer a dark the deep, deep dark secret that I have to work to keep hidden from everybody you know it's it's in the open and the rest of the steps tell me how to deal with that mm. I think it's uh, getting it out there it's it's kind of uh, when you said the open it remi- it's, it kind of diminishes it because the open is much much bigger than your little um, human foible that you've been carrying around as a guilty secret yeah. You put that out there and it's just in the ether and often the person that you tell it to just nods and they, they just go, oh, yeah, that's, that's a thing that people do. You yeah, know? That, that's right. Yeah. And often often our, our real fears are, are, are wordless and mm-hmm. and we have this sense. And, you know, psychotherapy is all about putting words to feelings and emotions. And in the same way, this step is about putting words to the things that really I don't want to touch. I yep. don't want to visit in, inside myself. Every time I remind, I'm reminded of something, I try and push it away. Yep. But here I am grabbing hold of it, looking at it, naming it, and then sharing that with someone else. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful it is. Uh, exercise. That's all we've got time for, Richard. So thanks you so much for coming in today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Me, me too. Thanks, Anne. Um, so if you're concerned about the drinking in a, of a relative or friend and would like to find out more about Alan on family groups, then you can find them on 1300 252 or go online at alanon.org.au. And uh, if you've got any other um, things that you're struggling with that you think one of the 12-step groups might be able to help, then you can find most of them online um, by just Googling, maybe just Google the the compulsion or addiction that you've got and you'll find maybe a, or, and put 12 steps beside it and you'll probably find a group that can help you work through the 12 steps. Um, coming up next, we have Balanoir, the Spirit of Wire, hosted by Uncle Taljim Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And I'll just put a little cheery song on for you here. Um... Where is it gone? Here it is. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Aim. Always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your scene Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance and out So always look on the bright side of death 
shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you.